Amen. Thank you, John. Hope you guys are good. You excited? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, good. I'm glad you are. Um, I'm excited today um, about going into the book of Micah, the minor prophet Micah. And we're in this series, the minor prophets, as John said. This one, the subtitle is God of the least of these. As we look at the book of Micah, it's really about God's justice and his love for the oppressed, his love for those who, who uh, the world may look at and think um, of not much of them. And, and so um, we're going to be looking at this and going through this. To give you a little background, um, the minor prophets are called minor, not because they're less important, but because the prophecies are shorter. A prophet in the Old Testament especially was one who would hear what the Lord was saying and he would bring it and speak it or she would bring it and speak it to the people. And so we um, are looking at these different prophets. You look at the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Those were bigger books, bigger prophecies. And so these are minor prophets, again, not because they're less important, but because they're shorter. And so when we look at these, these are filled with all kind of incredible truths, encouragement, conviction, challenge, all of this. We could spend weeks in every one of these books, but this series is really giving us just an overview of what each of these prophets were saying. And as you look at them, they really speak together as a whole. They're, they're all proclaiming this message of return to God, return to God, re-engage with God, re-engage with his purposes for you. And so we see that throughout um, these prophets. And so today we're going to start in Micah chapter one, verse one. We're going to read the first seven verses. Um, and then we'll jump into this. We'll pray and get going. All right. So Micah chapter one, I'll talk through this a little bit as we read it to give you some background. It says the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, the vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Okay, so this is important. At one time, the nation of Israel, the, the, these chosen people that go all the way back to Abraham, the people that would ultimately bring Jesus, the Messiah, into the world, they were one group. Um, they were one nation. But at this point, they're divided. They're, they're a divided nation. You have Israel to the north, you have Judah to the south. Now, Israel's capital was Samaria. And they built a temple there, even though all of them were supposed to worship in Jerusalem when the kingdom divided, they built a temple in Samaria. Now, the southern kingdom, they worshiped in Jerusalem at the temple uh, there that had been built. And so what he's saying here is he's prophesying to Samaria. He's prophesying to Jerusalem. This is a prophecy for both. He's speaking to both here. And he's warning them of an imminent invasion. And what we see here is that within just a couple of decades, two, three decades, Assyria comes in and pretty much annihilates the northern kingdom of Israel. And then not too much longer, probably 150 or so years after that, Babylon comes in and takes captive a bunch of the people in Judah, a bunch of the Jews there in Judah. And so this is what he's warning about. It's pretty imminent at this point that Assyria is going to come as a tool of God's judgment upon the northern kingdom of Israel. And so that's why he's saying Samaria and Jerusalem. He says, hear you peoples, all of you. So he's calling all the people, listen. He says, listen, earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you 
the Lord from his holy temple. And so it's like he's summoning them, almost like in a courtroom. Come and hear the charges against you. He says, look, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Now, if you think about this and he's describing God coming to earth, it kind of makes us think back to the book of Exodus where um, God comes on Mount Sinai to give the commandments. But in that case, God was coming to meet with Moses to establish a covenant, an agreement, a relationship with his people. But what we see here is God, yes, is once again coming down in the same manner. Um, in, on Sinai, there was, there was thunder and lightning and smoke and fire. He's saying the same kind of thing, but he says this time he's coming down not to establish a covenant, but to judge you because you have not upheld the covenant. He says in here, all this is because of Jacob's transgression, because of the sins of the people of Israel. He's talking to all of them. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem? And what he's convicting them here and, and, and really calling them to hear is he's saying, look, you're going to these places of worship, but your hearts are not right. He's saying this, this is uh, the big issue. And, and what we see is there's injustice in these nations because there's no connection with God. He says, therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes as the wages of prostitutes they will begin, be again, be used. So he's saying, look, your worship is, is false. Your heart's not there. And because of this, you're, you're doing all kinds of things wrong. And specifically in Micah, as we will see, they're, they're not taking care of the least. They're not trying to set free the oppressed to help the captives as Jesus came to do to be set free. They're literally oppressing them for their own gain. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and its truth. We thank you, God, for its power. Lord, I pray today that we would be encouraged, challenged, convicted in every way by what you have to say to us through the prophet Micah, through all of your scriptures, Lord, that we look at today. Let our hearts be laid open. Let our hearts be laid bare. Let your word separate even the intent and motives in our heart, Lord. Um, and, and just do a great work in us, not just in us as individuals, but in us as your body, that we would be participants in all that you've called us to, that every ounce of potential that you've given us as your people would be fulfilled on earth, Lord. And we know that that will be exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. So let it be so, God, as we surrender our hearts to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, all right, y'all ready? You good? Right. All right. Let's go. Um, so when my wife and I got married, we went on a honeymoon like most people do. We actually went down to Mexico uh, to Cancun. And, and so uh, this was B.C. for me, uh, meaning before Christ. And so we get down there. Um, Susan always says that I owe her another honeymoon. I, I did not um, behave well 
on this one. And so we get down to where we were going, uh, this resort, I think it was maybe a sandals resort and you know, with these all inclusive things. We get there, the beginning of a bad time in a way was when we're laying by the pool right after we got there and this guy comes up and he says, sir, can I get you something? So we order a beverage, right? He brings the beverage. I reach into my wallet to give him money. He says, oh, no, sir, this is all paid for. And I thought, game on, right? Like, this is, let's go. And so um, the week for me was a blast for her, probably not so much fun. And she's like, look, you know, you owe me another honeymoon. So I'm fine with that. We can take another trip, cool with me. But the, the, the thing about it is when we were there for that week, when we were there during that time, like everything was brought to us. We were served, people would bring things. We'd go in restaurants, we could order whatever we wanted to order. And then it felt like we were gonna get arrested or something because you just get up and walk out. You don't pay anything, you just go your way. It's all taken care of, people waiting on your hand and foot, um, bringing you stuff by the pool, by wherever you're at, people looking after you, right? Um, and, and here's the thing though, that sometimes happens with us is we oftentimes confuse the church for like an all-inclusive resort. We think that the church is here to wait on us. And that's not true. We're here to care for each other, yes. But we are not here. You need to hear me. We are not here to be me-focused. We are not here to be self-centered. Our worship is not to be self-focused. We can come in and sing great songs, and, but, but is it more about the feeling I have or my worship of God? See, it's not really about me. In fact, when you get saved, it becomes less about you than it was even before. And see, the church, though, has become too content with being like this spectator country club place where we come in thinking that it's all about my needs it's all about what I need for me to get me through. And listen, it is, it is. But listen, it does not stop there. In fact, that type of church is unbiblical. Nowhere in the Bible do we see the church created to just serve themselves. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that God called the church to be that. But we have become too content by looking inward, not even just looking inward inside the walls, but looking inward at ourselves. When this happens, guys, it's not what we're called to be. There's no engagement. Listen, there's no engagement for you in the body, in the church, in the, in, in the, the purpose. When it's just spectator sport, right? When it's just, just country club, give me what I need, Sport like, like, look, that that's, doesn't lead to us engaging with one another. And when that happens and we're not engaged together and we're not engaged in the purpose, then the church is not engaged in the world. And that's what we see. I thought about back when I was in college, it's getting further and further away, obviously. Um, but I remember back in college when I played uh, baseball at Georgia Southern. Um, I've told you this before. I was what one of my coaches used to call an ERW, um, an eat, ride, and watch. That's what I did mostly. Um, good seats, right? And uh, I was fortunate enough, though, and I brought these today to get a couple of rings. This was back when Georgia Southern was in the Southern Conference, and we won a couple of um, conference championships 
while I was there. Now, this one is 1996. How many of you were not born in 1996? Golly, Susan, you're getting old. Um, And so in 1996, believe it or not, uh, we won the Southern Conference Championship, the regular season and the tournament. And so we got these rings. And this ring meant something to me, right? It it meant something, but kind of didn't in a way. I was proud to get, I was glad to get, I was happy, like I, I got this ring. But here's the reason it didn't mean that much to me is because that year I had three at bats. I hit three times that season. And it wasn't when we were down by a run with two outs and a man on third in the ninth inning. It was when we were up by about 15. And they were like, who else can we put in? Okay, Brandon, go, go ahead and get in at bat, right? And so it, it, that was all I did. And so I was on the team. I contributed as much as I could, but I didn't feel a part. Why? I wasn't really doing anything. I really was, I was on the team, but I wasn't a part of the wins from a standpoint of contributing. This one I got the next year. And this one meant a whole lot more to me. And the reason it did was because I actually made some contributions. Now, I wasn't hitting third and like, I wasn't the Freddie Freeman, right? But, but I made some contributions. I was able to help us actually win some games. Not great, huge, like if, if I weren't there, somebody else could have done it, right? But still, there were contributions made. And so this one meant so much more to me. Why? Because I felt like I was actually a part of the purpose. I felt like I was actually a part of the body, uh, of the team. And for you and me, if we're not a part of it, if we're not contributing to it, listen, then we're not going to feel like we belong. We lose the belonging. There's no engagement. I talked about vacation places. I want to put a picture of one up here. People actually go to this place and, um, for vacation and swim in it. Uh, it's pretty, right? Anybody know what that's a picture of? Anybody can guess? That's the Dead Sea. You know why they call it the Dead Sea? Because it's dead, right? There's nothing that lives there. Nothing that lives there. And it's dead because of the high salt content that is in the water. It is stagnant water. Um, and, And so what happens is the Jordan River and a couple, only a couple of inches of rain supply the Dead Sea with water, but there's no outlet. And so what happens instead of there being a flow of water in and out, the water flows in, it evaporates and the salt is left behind. So the salt is so thick there that it's really almost impossible to like dive down in and swim that way. Now you can go get in it and just float and you don't have to worry about getting bitten by anything because there's nothing in it. It's dead. But here's the thing I want you to see. It's stagnant, not because nothing's coming in. It's stagnant because nothing's going out. And in the church, that's what happens so many times. We have this mindset that if I can get poured into more, if I can just get poured into more, 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 listen, then then I'll, I'll, I'll be what I need to be. I'll become what I'm supposed to be. But so many times for us, it's not about getting poured into more. Sometimes it's about pouring out. Sometimes it's about what's coming out of us, not just what's going in. And if all we do is check in and check out, 
and there's never any engagement, there's never any contribution, then it's no wonder we don't feel like we belong. It's no wonder that we feel like, is this really all there is to it? Listen, there's more. We don't even realize how much more there is for the church, but the way it happens is when we engage, we find belonging, we're no longer stagnant. And all of this is a result of lack of worship, of true worship, of not having God's heart. Because we see here that God cares for the least of these. God loves the least. He loves the world so much he sent his son. He's called us to be a part of reaching those who are far, of caring for the body. Yes, yes, it's a twofold mandate though to care for each other, to love each other, but it's also to reach those who are far from God. Because here's the truth, at one time in our life, we were far from God. And thank God that somebody cared enough to reach out to us so that we could come near. And we are called to do the same thing. Something we say a good bit around here, and when we talk about giving, serving, being in a small group, um, all of these things, something we say a lot is we want something for you, not from you. And here's the thing I know because I know how my mind works. When we talk about those things, giving, serving, being in a group, all these different opportunities, here's what I know because this is how my mind works. Some of you go, yeah, you say that, but what you really want is for me to blank. What you really want is for me to give so that we can keep the lights on, right? What you really want is for me to serve because you need people at the door or back there with these kids. What you really mean is you want to have a bunch of small groups. What the pandemic taught me and what I see is this. That statement means more to me that we want something for you, not from you, than it ever has. It's always been true but I see it even more today because what I realize is that when you're not engaged in the body, you wilt and you die. You cannot be separate from the body of Christ and thrive in your relationship with God. You need to be engaged. You need to contribute. That will become a source of joy when the motivation is right behind it. Because that's what we were created to do, is be his body. These Israelites in, in Israel and Judah, they weren't doing it right because they weren't right with God. They were oppressing the ones that they should have been uplifting. Really, why does it matter though? Like, Why does this not being a spectator church, not being a country club. Why does it really matter? It matters because we have a purpose. And specifically what we see in the book of Micah is it matters because God loves the least of these. And so should we listen to Micah chapter two, verse 12 and 13. This is a promise of deliverance that God gives to these people who will one day be hauled off into exile. It says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. 
Listen to this. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gates and go out. Their king will pass through before them. The Lord at their head. What's he saying? All of these people, they're going to be exiled because of their sin and their rebellion. But God, who's a God of love and compassion says this, I'm going to gather my people back together. I'm going to be compassionate towards them. They're they're going to become destitute and, and I want them. And when they turn to me, I'm going to bring them back. He has a heart for the downtrodden. He has a heart for those who are broken in spirit. He has a heart for those who are in physical poverty, but also in spiritual poverty. He has a heart for this. Listen to um, Micah 4, verses 6 and 7. In that day, declares the Lord, I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles and those I have brought to grief. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away a strong nation. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion from that day and forever. And so we see these promises that God will once again gather his people. God will once again pull them together. And here's what's incredible. If you go back and look at Micah 2, 12 and 13, he says this, I'm going to gather my people. And he says, I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. What's he saying? I'm going to be like a shepherd to them. And my people are like sheep. And he says, they go wayward. They want to go their own way. But he says, I'm going to be a shepherd. And Jesus, when he came to earth, he said, I'm the good shepherd. What's he mean? Good shepherd. He means I'm the good shepherd in comparison to the bad shepherds that went before you in comparison to these shepherds, these prophets, these priests that were during these times who only told people good things. They wouldn't tell them the truth until someone like Micah rose up. He said, I'm going to send a good shepherd and he's going to break through. He's going to break through the one who breaks open the way. He says he's going to come and break open the way. And what did Jesus do? He came and broke open a way. He came and broke open a way for us to get out of our sins, for our sins to be taken care of. He came and broke open a way for us to, to go through death to come to life. He broke open a way for us to spend eternity with God in heaven. This shepherd came and he's gathering his sheep and he's telling us that I care for those who are harassed, who are helpless, who are like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm calling them to myself and I'm gathering them because I've made a way for them. He says that they will break through the gate. Jesus said, I am the gate. If you want to come to life, you come through me. He said, I am the door. If you really want to enter into life, you come through me. He says their king will pass through before them. The Lord at their head. What did Jesus do? He's already passed through the heavens to prepare a place for us. See, this is even so much bigger than just the Israelites coming back from Babylon. This is about us being joined to God, who who sent the shepherd Jesus, who sent the, the gate, who brought us to a place where we could once again become his. And he did that because God loves the least of these. We see it in Matthew 25, 34 through 40, where Jesus tells his disciples, listen, if, if you gave me a cup of water, if you gave me clothes, if you gave me something to eat, He said, then look, you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters. 
In other words, he seems to be talking about the body. Like when you've cared for each other, you've done it to the least of these. You go to Galatians chapter six, Paul writing to the churches in Galatia in chapter six, verse 10. He says this, he says, continue to do good to all people, especially those who are of the faith. So he's saying, he's saying, yeah, take care of yourself, but be good to all people. We know that Jesus said this, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. They challenged him. They said, well, who's my neighbor? He told a parable about a Samaritan that did a righteous thing to help a Jewish person in need. He says, who was more of a neighbor? They said, the one that showed mercy. He said, go and do likewise. Who's my neighbor? Who am I called to reach out to? You go to passages like Leviticus 23, 22, one of the first books here in the Bible. We think about the Old Testament. We sometimes think about it as a book of judgment, wrath, all this stuff. But we see the compassion of God all throughout in passages like 23, 22 in Leviticus. He tells them this. He says, when you harvest your fields, he says, don't harvest them all the way to the edges. Leave the edges so that the people who are foreigners, those who are poor can come behind you and they can glean from what's left behind. He's making provision for the least of these. God loves the least of these. Who are they? The least of these are the poor and powerless. The least of these are the poor and powerless. And God has a heart for them. But who are we, the church? This is important for us, guys. This is important. Who are we? Who are we, the church? We, the church, we are the poor and the powerless who become the rich and the powerful because we've been filled with the spirit of God. We are the poor and the powerless who become the rich and the powerful because we have been filled with the spirit of God. Listen to Micah 3.8. I love this passage in here. He's talking about all the sin. He's talking about all the judgment, the the, the, um, warnings. And then he gets to 3.8 and he says, but as for me, I am filled with power with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions, to Israel his sin. See, we need to have this mindset. But as for me, see, the world can go whichever direction it wants to go. It may be upside down. But as for me, I have been filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord. And we have been given a message. We have been given a task. We have been given a purpose on this earth that is greater than me. It's even greater than us. And Micah's saying, listen, the spirit of God has filled me. It's the same thing that Jesus says in Luke 4 when he says the spirit of God is upon me to preach the good news, to set captives free, to deliver the oppressed, to those in prison, to those in darkness, to shine a light. And you, if you are in Christ, have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us this. He says to the, in Acts 1.8, he tells them, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And right now you, you can sit here and maybe you don't feel like this, but this is the truth. The spirit of God is in you if you are a follower of Jesus. What needs to happen is the spirit of God in us needs to be stirred up. 
In Micah 7, 8, listen, this goes along with the song we sang earlier. Micah 7, 8, he says this, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. See, here's the thing we need to get to, church. We need to get to this place where the enemy may think he has a hold on us. But the truth is we have within us the power to rise up above anything the enemy would do. Jesus promised that his church would prevail and not even the gates of hell would stand against it. You need to understand this, that Jesus has given us the authority that he took back on earth so we can accomplish his purposes. But what we have to do is get a stirring in our heart and say enough is enough. Enough just coming in and sitting. It's enough. Enough of that. Enough of playing church and acting like this doesn't matter. Enough. When will we have enough of just checking in and checking out, right? When will we take this serious like it is eternal? When will the grace of God and the love of God propel us past our own self-centeredness and our own self-preservation? When? When will it really matter? See, too many of us, we've forgotten. In Micah 6, 3 through 5, God says this to them. He says, my people, what have I done to you? (laughs) We act like serving God is so bad. We've forgotten what he's done for us. To serve the Lord, to be a part of the body, it's just a burden. It's just a burden. Then we've never experienced or we have forgotten all that God did for us in Christ. He says, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? I mean, Jesus said, all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that mean we just come to Jesus and then sit on the couch and eat bonbons and watch TV? No. It means when we come to Christ, we are infused with life and we're compelled with the love of God to become what he created us to become. See, we become free, but freedom is not freedom like we see in America. Just freedom to do whatever you want to do. That's not biblical freedom. Freedom means we have been set free not to do what I want to do, but to do what I was created to do. But the Jews had forgotten this. Israel, Judah, they had forgotten this. He says, I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. Listen to what's happening here, guys. But the, the Israelites who were brought out of captivity and slavery in Egypt, that they were delivered by God from oppression and now they're oppressing people. And here we are today, people who've been delivered and set free. Yet for most of us, for most of us, 
My deliverance and my salvation is enough. But that's not what it's about. My salvation is not just about me. It's about my neighbor. It's about the least, the poor, the powerless. And listen, look, look, look. You can live in the nicest neighborhood in Bullock County. You can have the biggest boat that there's ever been made. You can have the nicest cars. You can wear the best clothes. And you can still be the least of these because your spiritual poverty is just as bad as the person living in the cardboard box who doesn't know Jesus. He says, I did all of this. He says, my people remember Remember what Balaam, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. These are people coming against him. He said, remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. He's saying, don't forget my righteous acts on your behalf. Don't forget all that I've done for you. Well, why is that important? One, because that's what brings worship to remember who God is, remember who I am apart from Christ, to see what God has done for me in Christ, and then to realize who I've become in Christ. That's where worship comes from. That's where we see the greatness of God's love, that even when I was an enemy of Christ, he loved me enough to save me. And that love that we see when this relationship with God is right is the same love that compels us to go to the least of these, to go to the poor and the powerless. To not be a dam of God's grace, but to be like a river. Rivers, Jesus said, of the, the Holy Spirit would flow from us into this world. Paul says this to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.26. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many... Um, were noble, of noble birth. He's saying, look, not many of you had a lot to bring to the table. Kind of like those first 12 disciples. There was nothing glorious about them. Basically what they knew how to do is fish or collect taxes. There was one that was a zealot, so he knew how to shank somebody in a crowd. That's about what he knew how to do. He's saying, look, there wasn't anything about you that made it where God looked at you and said, I gotta have them because of what they bring to the table. He looked at you and he says, I gotta have them because I love them. Well, why do you love us? Because I love you. But why? Just because I do. Remember, remember what grace has done for you. God's love for you that moved him to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Remember, 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 remember. Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Remember. I'm back here uh, during this last song. And I come in and I walk through this side door and, and I'm just kind of, I'm just worshiping. And I thought back to the day of my own salvation. I thought back to how the Holy Spirit filled me and filled me with this passion for God and this, this desire to know him more. And I started remembering, remembering, remembering. And then I turned around and John was sitting in a chair by the door and he scared me to death. I didn't realize he was there. But I remember, I remember 
what God did. I remember his grace. And I'm not saying I don't ever forget. Listen, by, by two o'clock, I'm liable to have forgotten. But we remember, we remind, we preach the gospel to each other and to ourselves so we remember. We remember what grace has done for us. We remember that apart from grace, apart from what Jesus has done, apart from the Holy Spirit, we would be spiritually the least of these still. See, we need grace like we need oxygen to breathe. We need God's spirit like we need oxygen to breathe. Here, here's something, and these, this is not a, a tricky question. Uh, it's kind of a, a, um, a biology question, but it, you don't have to be a doctor to answer this. Let me ask you this question. Did you need oxygen yesterday? Not a trick question. You did. Did you need oxygen last month, last year? Yes. Will you need oxygen tomorrow? Will you need oxygen next week, next month, next year? Yes, you will, because you have to have it to live. We'll understand this. In order for us to live the life that God has called us to live, we need his grace. We needed his grace yesterday, a, a, a year ago. Listen, 20 years ago, 21 years ago, before I was saved, I needed his grace. But it wasn't until April 1st of 2000 that I walked into his grace by faith in Christ. I needed his grace then. Guess what? I'm going to need his grace. I need his spirit tomorrow, the next week, the next year. Just like I need breath, I need God. And I have to remember, I have to remember that we are the church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that because of that, because we have the gospel, the good news of Jesus, we are the hope of the world because now we can hold out that grace to others. We can hold out the gospel to others, those who are far from God. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 tells us this. Don't forget, he says, remember that you were once far off. You weren't part of the promises of God. He says, but now through Christ, you've been brought near. Don't forget this. And don't forget that because of his grace, because of his spirit, because of his purpose on our life, that the least of these who God loves, that God takes these poor and powerless people and makes them rich and endued with power because God uses the least of these. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says this. He says in verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong things that are the God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, I take the people who seem like they don't have so much to offer and I use them in incredible ways. The things that the world looks at as foolish, despised, lowly. He says, I take them and I transform them and I use them in incredible ways. But we have to engage, we have to engage, we have to engage in the body, we have to engage in the relationship, we have to engage in his purposes. 
See, our past poverty, our continued need for grace, and our present power should rise up in us to compel us to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, which is what this shirt is talking about, until every person knows we are to fulfill our purposes. So what do we do? What do we do? One, we return. We've talked about that throughout this series. We return to this relationship with God. We talked about this, but we need to be reminded. We need to remember that the church, that the word for church in Greek literally means an assembly. It could have been any assembly. It came to be known as the church, the gathering of believers. This word that we use today, it originated with that. But here's the thing. We can't assembly if you're not here. You can't be a part of the assembly if you're not there. We're called to be together. We're called to engage. Listen, to be a part means you are a piece together with other pieces. To be a part of the whole. It doesn't mean you're a piece that's rogue over here going your own way. No, it's a body that is united, joined together. You are put together with other parts. When something is pulled apart, it means that parts are removed. Some of us have allowed things to pull us apart from the body, to pull us apart from the whole. And this is, this is a gross analogy, but I'm going to use it anyway. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you see a finger laying on the sidewalk, nobody treats it like a flower. Nobody walks over and picks it up and like, this is a beautiful finger. Now that finger may have came off of the most beautiful person in the world, but is that finger laying on the sidewalk beautiful? No. Nobody picks up the finger and goes, this is glorious. You don't put it in your pocket, take it home, put it in a vase and give it to your wife and say, honey, I picked something for you today. Because it's not glorious, it's not beautiful, it's gross. And a divided, separated, just sorted, knit together church, you know what it is? It's gross. No wonder the world does not look at the church and see the glorious, beautiful bride of Christ who is attractive. It's because we're so divided, even within our own fellowships. We're so busy, we have no time for relationship. We're all separated, so we don't have time to engage. And the world looks at it and they don't look at us all separated, an ear over here, an eye over there, a finger, a toe, and go, that is beautiful. They look at it and go, that is gross. Why would I want to be a part of that? But here's my challenge. Church, when are we going to rise up and be something else? When are we going to be like Micah and say, but as for me, as for me, I'm not going down that path. As for me, as for we, we're not going to do this. As for we, we embrace it. As for we, as for us, we're going to leverage the blessings, the privileges that God has given us. 
We're going to leverage all of the, the power that is in us for the least of these. We're going to care for each other. The body is going to care for each other. But we're also going to reach the least of these. If you look at Micah chapter 6, verse 8, this is one of the famous sort of verses in Micah. But I want us to be understanding of what we're talking about here. It says this, Micah says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, he says, if you'll walk humbly with your God, guess what? You'll become like him. Justice and mercy will flow from you. Walk humbly with your God. Act justly. Love mercy. But here's the thing we can't do. We can't take this passage and just jump off into some social justice-like um, rampage. Because God does call us to care for the poor. Yes, yes, yes. And we will. But listen to me, it doesn't do any good to feed somebody peanut butter and jelly sandwiches so that their stomach is full for 40 years if you condemn their soul to hell. We are called to do both. It is again a twofold mandate from God. Care for the physical needs, but give them the greatest need. Meet the greatest need of Christ in them. See, first of all, we got to get our hearts right. Second of all, we got to get our hearts ready because God is calling us to move. He's calling us to engage our hearts and our hands how can you do it? Look, real easy ways. You can go sign up to, to serve. Start giving. Get in a connect group, a small group. Get in community. Engage in what happens here. See, when you're out there and you're directing traffic and you're, you're greeting people who are coming up the, the drive, listen, you're, you're not just out there um, just to keep them from running into each other. Not just so that when you tell somebody to go left, when they want to go right, they flick you off and just keep driving. You think that doesn't happen, but it does. That's some of the people that park. We had a lady actually hit one of our parkers one day. Gross. But what you're doing is you're, you're the first face of Christ, of love. When you're at these doors or wherever you're at in here, look, and, and you don't have to wear a name tag. If you've been here more than once, you need to see yourself as like an official greeter, an official server. You just need to be here with the love of Christ, sharing it with other people. But we begin to tear down walls because people walk in church intimidated. We serve in kids. It's not just so you can get puked on and peed on and pooped on. Because every bit of that happens. Happened last week. One of y'all's kids had a blowout. Right? Had a blowout. I'm talking about boom, mushroom cloud all over Jody, one of our staff members. Didn't bother her though. 
You know why? Because the purpose is bigger. If you've ever had kids, this happened to you anyway. She's about to have a child, so she might as well get used to it, right? Use this right when the diaper opens. It's like, but it's bigger, man. We're praying over these kids. These, These kids are getting Jesus on their level. It's why we see these kids coming up here to profess their faith all the time. It's bigger. You're giving. Look, you're giving. It's not to keep these lights on. They went, actually went out in the nine o'clock service. It's a bigger purpose. There is a mission to be accomplished. Connect groups, small groups, you need to be in community. This morning, I'm about to wrap this up. I'm about to walk out of the sanctuary. I've been out here talking to some folks. About to walk out. One of my sons comes up to me. He says, Dad, he saw a guy who stayed after the service. He's back there with his head down. He said, Dad, um, why don't you go talk to that guy? He looks like he needs somebody to talk to. I said, why don't you go talk to him? He said, I can't do that. Why can't you? I don't know what to say. I'm like, well, you'll figure it out. And he's like, I can't. I said, well, how about this? You go with me. And he goes, I got to go here and talk to Will. So he's like, just walks off. But I go out here and I talk to this young man and going through some tough times, having some struggles. I was able to talk to him for five minutes, man. Got him hooked up with somebody else who leads a group, who's a part of a group. And starting this Wednesday night, it's really, a lot of it's not that hard, y'all. A lot of it's not that hard, but we have to engage. We have to engage in our relationship with God and we engage with the body and its purposes. We can serve, we can give, we can be in a group. We have a purpose. Something I wanna mention to you how many of you have been around long enough, and I know we've been through two years of craziness, but you were here and you heard us talk about those 2020 initiatives is what we called them. There were eight of them. Some of that's happened, but, but not much of it. Because when we started it, um, right when we were getting it going is when COVID happened. And now we're about to roll into 2022. I don't know that we'll change the name from, to like 2022 initiatives. But here's the thing, those things still need to happen. We talked about stuff like, a boys academy for at, at risk young men who we can pull in and pull out of situations. We talked about things like a hygiene center, even a place where people can just come wash clothes, where they can come and get the basic necessities. We talked about a mental health clinic. There's a bunch of these things, guys. And here's the thing I can tell you, that's not lost. These things are beginning to move again. And listen, this land behind us right here, if you go out this back there, there's 13 acres of land that we have that needs to be developed into a ministry village for the least of these. And I still believe that that is going to happen, but it's not gonna happen if we just sit here. And so we are going to begin to move, get our hearts ready, Get our hands ready, get our hearts right, engage, engage, engage with God and with each other in the purpose. I'm going to be real honest. I don't mean this harsh, but but I just want to be honest with you straight up um, right now. If you're looking to just be in a place that is self-focused, 
that is me-centered, that is all about you, that's all about me, this is not the place for you. If you're looking for a place that it can be a spectator sport, this is not the place for you. If you are looking for a country club, it's not the place for you. But listen, if you are ready to see a community change, if you are ready to do whatever it takes, if you really wanna be heart and soul with God's vision of filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, then you might be in the right place. I've said this over and over for 13 years. I did not get into this to play church. We've been through about a year and a half, two years of hell as a nation. We've had challenges but we can't let those challenges be excuses any longer. It's time to go. It's time to go, it's time to move. It's time to get going with God's purposes. And we're gonna do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and its truth. Thank you that you've called us to more than just breathing in and breathing out. God, thank you that we have a great purpose together. Lord, I pray that we would be challenged, but that challenge would stir us. Our hearts would be stirred to serve together, to meet needs together, to do life together, Lord. Help us, God, help us by your grace, by your spirit. I pray, Lord, I pray that for each person in here, uh, God, that, that knows you, that, that, that is called by your name, they would realize that they have more potential more in them, more to give than what they realize. Lord, don't let us waste our lives on things that do not last. Lord, if there's someone here today who does not know you, I pray that you would draw them close to you and that they would just say yes to your offer of forgiveness and new relationship with you through Jesus. Would you fill them as they come to faith with the power of your spirit in Jesus' name? We pray, amen.